Welcome to the Story of God podcast, where each episode helps everyday men and women see how they fit into the grand narrative of God's redemptive plan. Here's Ezra and Janelle. Who is Lord? Kind of a basic question, it seems like, a simple question, and but it actually is an important one. Yeah, and the word Lord is used all through the Bible, but it's sometimes used in different ways. Exactly. So we'll have to get into that after we read Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 28. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood." before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption." You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So here in Acts chapter 2, we have the Apostle Peter getting up and standing and giving a tremendous sermon at Pentecost. And if we go back in time, we'll remember that the Apostle Peter, someone who's denied Christ, but now is becoming the cornerstone, well, not the cornerstone, but he's becoming the rock upon which the church of Jesus Christ is built. He's becoming that, that person that Jesus Christ had said he would be. And this is so amazing because just a few podcasts ago, we talked about Peter denying Christ, and now we see him as the rock of the church. Well, it's kind of a helpful reality to remember that um, how quickly sometimes we can move from failure to doing mm-hmm. what's right. It's just a choice. Yeah. Well, you think of how many times, I think maybe in Christian circles, don't want to go off on a side note here, but maybe someone falls from grace and they do something wrong. Mm. And we take years and years and years to restore a person. And even when we restore them, we're kind of like, well, I don't know if they're really actually inside the tent. Right. (laughs) And, but the apostle Peter, and again, there's appropriate places, places for a proper restoration process. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but in the apostle Peter's case here, he's denied Christ. That's pretty strong. And yet now Christ is restoring Peter. 
And that is such an encouragement to us, isn't it? For those times that maybe we haven't denied Christ, but we feel like we haven't done exactly the perfect thing, yeah. you know, and yet God can use us. Well, and as, as many apologetics professors, writers have noted, the dramatic turnaround from the disciples, from being scared, running, denying Christ, and to now being willing to put their lives mm-hmm. in the line and stand up in front of hundreds, thousands of people and declare this same Jesus, that speaks to the reality that something dramatic happened. That that's something that it wasn't just an event because mm-hmm. you have you know multiple things. Uh, the Romans they could have produced a body. The Jews if they didn't you know want this message that they could have produced the body. But no, that they're not able to do that. Mm-hmm. And the disciples, you know, th- you think if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead, hmm. what's their incentive to they're do crazy. this? Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be to just go preach in public something you know you're going to die for. You, I mean, I think you'd be crazy if you knew it was a lie. Yeah. Well, and so here we here we go. And the Apostle Peter, we alluded to this in our last episode a little bit, but he quotes from the prophet Joel, uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And he says, in the last days, it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they're going to prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And what he's doing here is is he's helping the people that are listening to these words they've they've known this language for quite some time but now peter's saying no this is this is starting to become a reality and this is becoming a reality because of christ and going back to our earlier question about who is lord well what's interesting is is in the Greek New Testament here, we have the word Lord, um, often referred to Yahweh, but you wouldn't use the word Yahweh, and so they would just use the term Lord. But now we see a little bit of a switch here where Lord is actually referred to uh, Jesus. And so we realize that Jesus um, is is Lord. So what he's really doing is he's showing the Jewish people that Jesus was Yahweh or Jesus was Lord all along. He's the Messiah. He he, yeah. he is the one that's come to rescue, redeem his people. And um, this is really a moment where a lot of people realize for the first time that this was real and this was true. And they come to Jesus because of this. And this is where the church really starts um, as they hear Peter's sermon. So when I was preparing for this passage, came across a quote from, I think it's Malcolm uh, Geit, G-U-I-T-E. Maybe I'm mispronouncing that, but he offers some kind of interesting insight on how we might think about and appropriate somewhat impersonal descriptions for the spirit in a personal way. So he notes that it, it is striking the way that the scripture expresses the presence of the Holy Spirit through the three most dynamic of the four elements the air, a mighty rushing wind, but also the breath of the spirit. There's water, uh, the waters of baptism, the river of life, the fountain springing up to eternal life promised by Jesus. And of course, fire, the tongues of flame at Pentecost. So three out of four ain't bad, a guide says, but I was wondering, where is the fourth? Where is earth? And then I realized that we ourselves are earth, Mm -hmm. the atom made of the red clay. And we become living beings fully alive when the Holy Spirit clothes in the three other elements 
comes upon us and becomes a part of who we are. And um, I just thought as I read that, man, that's an interesting way to think about it. I didn't really, I didn't really put that together in my mind prior to reading that. That is such an awesome picture of how we too truly become alive when we're filled with the spirit, you know, and the Bible talks about being dead in your sins and then becoming alive in Christ. And we receive the Holy spirit when we become a Christian. So that gives a whole new meaning to coming alive in Christ, doesn't it? The Holy spirit should be that, that that's living inside of us. That should be the realest thing about us, that reality. And so this means that no matter what comes into our lives, obstacles, hardship, the reality of the Holy Spirit, because he's living and operating through us, that that truly becomes the realest thing about us. And what hope that gives us. And uh, we look at uh, verse 21 and it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this isn't just um, a coming alive or a, you know, becoming who you were meant to be just for a handful. This is everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved and everyone can receive this gift of the Holy Spirit and have their life come fully alive. A couple interesting things here. Verse 22, uh, Peter's talking, he says, men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So he's, he's talking to people that they've witnessed some of the miraculous signs that Jesus did. And so he's pointing them back to that. And then verse 23, um, he says that, that he points out here that this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So there's the divine providence aspect, but then you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there, you have kind of this juxtaposition here, right? Between the divine foreknowledge of God, that God is sending, God the Father is sending Jesus to the cross. That's the will of God the Father. But then it was it was hands of men that nailed him to the cross. And this tells us a little bit about the way our wills and the divine will of God operate that there are certain things that God decrees, but within that decree, we have certain actions that we can choose to reject God, um, even in this case, crucify him, um, or we can accept that he is the reality that he says he is. Isn't it amazing that so often men takes credit for what he does, and yet God has predestined it? And God has moved on their hearts to do such, to do things, you know, and they think they're so, I mean, we think often we're just so, I don't know, reading something like this and remembering how God is in control and overall reminds me of how, uh, how small I am. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a powerful reminder. And verse 24, Maybe just close out on this. God raised him up from the dead, loosing the pangs of death. And so, um, because Jesus was the Messiah, Messiah, death was not a possibility. That, that wasn't a reality for, for Jesus because he was the promised one. He's God. And what's interesting, Gordon Fee says, to, to the Jews, Christ crucified is a contradiction in terms of the same category as fried ice. <laughs> the idea that, that Christ would come and would be crucified, as Peter's talking about here, is just so far outside the realm of understanding that they would have. But that's the reality. Mm-hmm. And so 
it gives us a little bit of appreciation for what these people are, are wrestling through at this, this period of time. And Jesus often works in ways that are hard for us to comprehend, or maybe in ways that make us question what we have believed to be true or believed to be the way that the world works. But he is, he is the one that we can trust and that we know is in charge and that if he's doing something in a certain way, we can, we don't have to be worried. We don't have to be afraid and we can just accept what he's trying to do in our lives. And so if you're in a place today where maybe God's doing something not the way you thought it should be, or um, maybe he's trying to speak to you or work in your life, maybe just take, take a minute and surrender that to him and let him be Lord of your heart and of your life today. And in doing that, put your faith into action. Thank you for listening to the Story of God podcast. For more info on this program or to access other resources that will help you turn Sunday belief into Monday action, please visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.